Brothers and sisters, in the previous khutbas, we have spoken about the culture, the global culture, and Islamic culture. It is very important for us to be crystal clear on what constitutes Islamic culture. Having understood the global culture, its basis, it is also important for us to understand what is the basis of Islamic culture. Culture being, as we said, the way people live their lives, which is over and above the common and shared natural characteristics of sleeping, eating, procreating. We don't look at that as being really a part of culture. However, how one may eat, how one may sleep, how one may procreate, this is what constitutes the culture. And this varies around the world from society to society. But from an Islamic perspective, there should be a common culture which is shared by all Muslims because there is only one Islam. Though we hear of other Islams like Shia Islam, etc., and we use the term Sunni Islam. Reality is that there is only one Islam. When we use the term Sunni Islam, it is to distinguish it from the deviation known as Shia Islam or Shiaism. But otherwise, Allah doesn't speak about Sunni Islam in the Quran. Prophet Muhammad never spoke about Sunni Islam. They only spoke about Islam. So there is only one Islam. And obviously, that one Islam should be the foundation for Islamic culture, which should unify the Muslim culture internationally. Now, Prophet Muhammad wasallam, he defined for us what constitutes Islam. He said in a very famous hadith, which you all are familiar with, the hadith of Angel Gabriel, in which the pillars of Islam, pillars of Iman, and the pillars of Ihsan were defined. And the culture which is produced by the implementation of these pillars, that is the culture of Islam. That is the root of the culture of Islam. Now Prophet Muhammad summarized all of these different pillars of Islam, Iman, Ihsan. He summarized them 
in one term when he said inma bu'ithtu li utammima makarim al-akhlaq indeed i was only sent to perfect for you the highest of moral character traits so he summarized islamic culture islamic life as essentially moral living a moral way that what is most important in islam is morality everything that islam commands leads us to the highest levels of morality everything that islam prohibits protects us from the lowest levels of morality that there is a moral message infused in every single element of islam and it is essential for us to be able to understand that moral message so that we don't mistake the means for the goal the means to get us to the goal which is that moral goal may be salah it may be zakah it may be fasting it may be belief in the last day etc but these are means if we think that these means are in fact the goal and the end then we will have missed the real message of islam as we said that message is essentially a moral message but in order for us to be crystal clear on what we're talking about because the term morality is used in a number of different contexts it is important for us to be clear what do we mean by morality what is the meaning of islam having ultimately a moral goal well morality basically is concerned with the principles of right and wrong conduct morality is defined as the quality of conforming to the principles of good conduct there is good and bad in the concept of morality it is your means by which you identify what is in fact good and what is in fact bad when we say a person is a a moral individual an individual of high morals we're talking about really good morals because there can be bad morals also so obviously the goals of islam are the good highest supreme moral principles which Allah has defined for us. And we have to look at Islamic morality within the context of morality in general, which we should understand may vary from religion, philosophy, culture, professional requirements, etc. It may vary. For example, under capitalism as a philosophy the free use of property is considered good 
you have property you can do with it as you please it is yours you've worked for it or you've gotten it however you've gotten it nobody can challenge how you got it anymore you have it then you can use it in any way that you please so it is morally correct in that system for you to die and leave all of your wealth to your dog while you have children wife relatives who get nothing because prior to your death you were upset with them so you wrote them out of your will and you left everything to your dog that is morally correct in that system because it's your wealth you can do with it as you please in the communist system originally well now communism is broken down and they've changed their principles somewhat but in the original concept of communism individual ownership was looked at as something evil that it should be everything should be owned by the whole state everybody shares in everything nobody owns anything individually so on one side in capitalism what was considered to be morally good and fine on the other side in communism it was considered to be morally evil also another example could be seen in social uh, needs which can define morality in china where your population is billion plus they considered having a second child immoral morally wrong you're allowed to have one child that's it you have a second child you're a criminal that is morally wrong whereas in other societies in europe where people are marriages are breaking down people are shying away from even having children they give you money to have more children the more children you have the more money the state gives you so that's morally good having more so social need there where they have zero population you have minus population population growth is in the minus figures the social need says we need to pump up the score we need to increase the number of children so we'll pay people to have extra children whereas in china it is the opposite on a professional level the psychiatrist is told in his profession that he should not reveal what has been told to him by his patients patient uh privacy is considered above all else so if a mass murderer comes to you and reveals all the people he has mutilated and done all these things to you might be revolted and everything but according to your profession you are supposed to keep that hidden that is considered morally good but does the society really accept that as morally good you're going to hide the secrets of this mass murderer no the society will naturally rebel against this and good sense says really such a person should not be hidden and in religion for example you can find in catholicism 
that it is morally wrong for a priest or a nun to marry. It's morally wrong. So that is the religion, that is their teachings. So this morality is a varying morality. And under the democratic system, you have what we call democratic morality, which is the morality of the mass. Whatever everybody agrees on is good, is good. And what everybody agrees on is bad, is bad. Or the majority, it doesn't have to be everyone. But what the majority feels is bad, then that is what's bad. So what then is the basis of Islamic morality? Islamic morality, the basis is whatever Allah has defined as good, is good. And whatever Allah has defined as evil, is evil. That is the basis. He who knows the reality of all things, has the right to define in the ultimate sense, in the absolute sense, what is absolutely good and what is absolutely evil. It doesn't mean we as human beings cannot identify some good and some evil based on the needs in our community or circumstance. We might see at the intersection near where we live a lot of accidents. So we feel there's a need for putting a traffic signal there. That is a good that we have agreed upon. To prevent the harm coming to people, we put a traffic signal to cut down on the number of accidents. So we can do this. But in the ultimate sense, because time may come and the mode of transportation differs, and we said, okay, no need for the traffic signal anymore, we can take it out. Or before we used to have a roundabout, and we said, roundabout was good, it served its purpose. But later on, with more traffic, we needed something more efficient, we said, put traffic lights instead. So these kind of things are subject to change based on our needs, etc. We can still define relative good and relative evil. But with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, what is good, that He defines as good, is ultimately good. It's not relatively good. It's not just relative to us, relative to Arabs, relative to Muslims. It is good for society as a whole. Because Islam is the way of life which Allah has defined for human beings as a whole and not just for specific groups. Also, we should understand as a general principle that what Allah has defined as good is good because there is real benefit in it. Whether we can see the benefit or not. And what is defined as evil is that which has in it harm. Harm which outweighs any good that we might see in it. Allah knows best. So we understand Allah's decisions of good and evil are not arbitrary. He just wants to make human life difficult, so He says, okay, don't do this. And He wants to test them, to do, so He tells them to do things they really don't need to do, which is of really no benefit. This is not how Allah commands and prohibits. He commands the good and He prohibits the evil. This is essential for us to understand the foundation of Islam. The moral foundation. And to put 
all of our various practices, Islamic practices, into the proper context. All praise is due to Allah and may Allah's peace and blessings be on the last messenger of Allah. Islamic morality, brothers and sisters, is based on four fundamental principles. The first of those is knowledge. For a person to act in a morally correct way, he or she must have knowledge. That is why Prophet Muhammad had said, Talabul ilmi farida ala kulli Muslim. Seeking knowledge is compulsory for every Muslim. Because that is essential for us to be able to act in a correct moral fashion. So we have to be in a process of seeking knowledge throughout our lives. Seeking knowledge and passing that knowledge on to others. The Prophet ﷺ emphasizes so much that he cursed the world, everything besides it, saying, Ad-dunya mal'una, mal'unun ma fiha. This world is cursed and everything in it is cursed. Illa dhikrullah, except for the remembrance of Allah. Wa ma wala, and what aids us in the remembrance of Allah. وَعَالِمًا وَمُتَعَلِّمًا The teacher and the student. The teacher and the student placed in a very special place. We should either be teachers, passing on what knowledge we have, or we should be students, seeking knowledge from those who have more knowledge than us. Ask those who know if you don't know. That's what Allah tells us. So we should be constantly in that process. Gaining, imparting, learning, teaching. Knowledge, the foundation of Islamic morality. Because of that, the Prophet ﷺ also said, the pen is raised from the book of the child until it reaches maturity. From the book of the insane, until he or she becomes sane. And from the book of the sleeper, until he or she awakens. These categories, the child doesn't have the knowledge to guide it in what is really right and wrong. It may have a relative knowledge, but they are not held accountable until the age of puberty when the mind matures and that sense of right and wrong becomes mature. Similarly, the person who is insane, they are not held accountable for their actions. But of course, from the Islamic perspective, insanity is true insanity. Not what we might call in, in Western systems, they call it temporary insanity where you are so angry or you are so whatever that you did actions which would say that is insane, that is mad. But that doesn't constitute an excuse from responsibility in the Islamic sense. The one who is insane is the one who was insane before the act and after the act. Not a person who for a temporary period of time becomes quote-unquote mad or insane. 
So it is not an excuse. People are able to get out of punishment in the Western systems by claiming temporary insanity. And the person who is sleeping, if a person sleepwalks and does things, though we might think it quite weird or strange, the point is that if they are in that state of sleep and they do anything, they are not held accountable for their actions. Because knowledge, the knowledge base wasn't there to choose. The second is the rational choice. That things which have been done accidentally, there was no rational choice involved. It happened from you without any intent behind it. So it wasn't a choice you made. So Prophet ﷺ had said, Responsibility has been removed from my nation regarding acts done accidentally, out of ignorance, or being forced. So whereas you're forced to do something, you have no choice, and you did it, then you're excused. But this is with limitations. Not anything that you're forced to do, where what you're forced to do involves harming others. So you do it in order to protect harm from coming to yourself, then this is not acceptable. But where there's no harm to others, and you're forced to do something, meaning physical harm, you know, death or injury to others, then you would have an excuse and the law would not hold you accountable because you were forced. Thirdly, there is the principle of intent. As the Prophet ﷺ had said, إِنَّمَا amal bin niyat." Deeds are judged ultimately by their intentions. So the intention will determine whether that deed is morally good or morally evil relative to Allah. Allah who knows the intentions. Externally, we can only judge the deed according to what people do. We can say that is morally good, that is morally evil, based on what the Sharia defines for external deeds. But the internal, that is left with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He is the one who ultimately will determine what is ultimately good and what is ultimately evil. So somebody might do something which externally we see it to be something bad. And we punish the person for it. It might have been circumstantial. It might have been a circumstantial, circ uh, uh, a circumstantial uh, incident which one fell into without intending to be there. One was trying to do something good and people perceived it externally as something evil. And so you're judged according to that evil. But, in fact, with Allah, the judgment is good. You are trying to do good. And lastly, the principle of taqwa. Fear of Allah. That, multi, uh, that the true morality, Islamic morality, cannot be achieved without the presence of the fear of Allah. Knowledge could be there, rational choice, intent could be there, but without the fear of Allah, then that deed becomes externally good, but internally it may be evil or it may be of no value. Nullified 
by the lack of taqwa. So Prophet Muhammad came as an example to us of morality. As he said, he was only sent to complete the most noble of character traits and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala described him in the Quran saying, Surely you, Muhammad, have or has a magnificent character. That magnificent character, Khuluqin Azim, the Mufassirun or interpreters of the Quran explain that this was in fact Islam. And that here, by using this term Khuluq, Allah is equating character with Islam. And that's why when Aisha was asked about the Prophet's character, she said, Kana Khuluquhu al Quran. That his character was that of the Qur'an. And the Prophet ﷺ further added to this principle of good character, righteousness, morality, he linked these, saying, Al-Bir Husnul Khuluq, that true righteousness is good character. True righteousness is not necessarily what we see externally done, though what is externally done may be linked, but it isn't the criterion ultimately. The criterion is good character. That a person should be affected by the righteousness that they do. And the effect should be good character. So when a person, a non-Muslim says to us, you know, so-and-so, our manager, he prays all the time, but he cheats us. He doesn't give us our wages in time. He does this to us, he does that to us, he curses us, he does all these other things. What kind of Islam is this? We have to admit that that person is in fact far away from Islam. The concept of morality is lost. He is caught up in the external acts, which are customs and traditions, associated with being Muslim, and he does them. But they have no impact on him. As Allah had said, Indeed, prayer prevents evil speech and evil deeds. So, if that impact is not taking place, if the person displays bad character, is evil, corrupt, etc., then we say that the salah that he is doing or she is doing is not the salah which Allah commanded. It is a salah of their own making. Not the one which the Prophet ﷺ prescribed when he said, Pray as you saw me pray. Externally and internally. So, Prophet Muhammad stressed this link, the link between true faith and righteous deeds, as is mentioned throughout the Quran, 
where Allah describes the believers as those who believe and do righteous deeds. We hear these two linked throughout the Quran from the beginning to the end. Similarly, in Islam, the Prophet ﷺ had said, the believer whose faith is most complete is he whose character is best. So I ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to give us the realization of the core of Islam, which is morality. That we change our character, make our faith real by living true moral lives. Lives which are pleasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I ask Allah to forgive our weaknesses and our misgivings and our deficiencies and help us to find our way back to the true path of Islam, the moral path. We ask Allah to bless our children, our families, our loved ones, to be on that path. We ask Allah to make our last breath in this life be that of La ilaha illallah. The world's first tuition-free degree, BA in Islamic Studies. Access to the knowledge, any place, anytime, anywhere. It just doesn't get any easier than that. Classes, texts, assignments, completely online. Set your own schedule for the semester. No overseas travel required for the exams. Subjects taught by qualified English-speaking scholars. Weekly live sessions in virtual classrooms. With curricula based on those in El Medina University in Saudi Arabia, El Azhar University in Cairo, and other reputable institutions around the world. Why wait any longer? You pay just a symbolic registration fee and are ready to begin the adventure of higher education. The most diverse student body of any university in the world. 130,000 plus registered students from 217 countries. Log in to the website for more details. www.islamiconlineuniversity.com